I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And, and this, this is Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Oh my God, what's up? Good evening, top of the day. <laughs> it's really the bottom... Well, bottom of the ninth. No, I would say it's top of the seventh if we were doing baseball terms for what time it is. Viewers at home, try and guess what hour of the day top <laughs> of the seventh is to me. Yeah, I guess it's just hard to tell if the top of the day is like the beginning of the day or if the top of the day is like the end of the day, like a hat upon your day. I had someone recently in an email ask me to move up their meeting and I was like, that could be any direction. <laughs> I don't know if up is sooner or up is later. I actually think that there is a like psychological test where if someone says, can we move it 35 minutes up, whether you think it means sooner or up as in. Did you see a TikTok about it? Yeah. I saw that TikTok last <laughs> summer too. And I remember like me and my mom were on one side of it and everybody else was on the other side. And I'm like, oh, that means we're wrong. <laughs> in one situation, you see yourself moving through time. And in another situation, you see time moving through you. And which one is like narcissistic? Mine. <laughs> Ashley. Yeah. How would you title your memoir this week? I'll tell you what my memoir would look like this week. You know how sometimes we read a memoir and they'll have a little excerpt from Friends, Family of the Writer. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I would say that this week I would hand my notebook over to a side character in my memoir, a gal we call New York City. (laughs) The sixth friend, if we ever made three other friends. I just have had a real New York-y weekend. I, I mean, yesterday I was in Red Hook, and then I headed up to Williamsburg for an outdoor drink with you guys, and then... You had a date in Greenpoint? I had a date in Greenpoint, and then today I was in Chinatown to get my hair done, and then I decided to just walk all the way up to the L to just really soak in the town. It was a lovely time once, once and for all, overall. Once and for all. (laughs) Finally, the last straw of New York City. My farewell letter. Anyway, Claire. Yes. What would you title your memoir this week? I would call it The Dark Side of Fame. (laughs) Were you stalked? Um, Worse. (laughs) Were you photographed in a bad light? Worse. Canceled? (laughs) Worse. I met a girl last night and I told her about our podcast. She like, ah, she's like, oh, I heard you have a podcast. And I was like, here's the premise. We read celebrity memoirs so that you don't have to. And then she goes, oh, my God, there's these two annoying girls on TikTok who do that exact same thing. And I was like, <laughs> literally the exact same thing. That's us. And she was like, no, no, it's not. And I was like, I am 100% sure it's, that's us. There's no two other girls doing anything on TikTok ex- except for the lesbians. <laughs> yeah, there's like lesbian couples accounts. But-, but I was like, listen, lady, if there was another two girls doing celebrity memoir recaps, we would know by now. I mean, I... I travel pretty heavy. I spend 18 hours a day on TikTok. I would have seen it. Yeah. And somebody would have Mm. tagged us in it. And she just like, kept being like, no, no, no. I'm sure it wasn't you. I'm sure it wasn't you. Like, show me the account. Yeah, that wasn't the account. And I was so sure that it was us that for the first time in my life, I actually let this whole thing go. I just dropped it. I went, oh, yeah, you're probably right. I (laughs) can't believe the growth that we're seeing here. (laughs) I was so confident that it was us that I was like, you know what? It doesn't even matter what this girl thinks she thinks. (laughs) I know what she saw and I know who she found annoying and it was us. Should we get into this week's book? Claire, who are we talking about this week? America's first and only ever supermodel, former America's Next Top Model judge, Janice Dickinson. Give it up for Janice. (laughs) Ah, The only supermodel to ever live, according to Janice. She's not even the only supermodel. She invented the term supermodel for herself and said no one else can have it. Ashley, what did you know about Janice Dickinson going into this book? Okay, so I definitely watched America's Next Top Model when it was on, especially the early days when Janice was a main judge. Mm -hmm. So I knew her almost exclusively from that. And in that show, she makes it no secret that she was the first supermodel. Yes. So I knew that she was that already. What about you? I also knew her from America's Next Top Model. I thought she was absolutely off the rails unhinged. That was kind of her role, but she was like the crazy person. She was always like making faces and noises and sound effects and like... And being so cruel. I think that was kind of her... Tyra was like cruel as if it was helpful, but Janice was cruel because she was like not medicated properly it was very clear and like very drunk and just like hateful she had hatefulness to her she was hard like the silicone in her face (laughs) and then also I remember she of course famously was like I was the world's first supermodel and I remember even back then not believing her because I was like I can name supermodels older and younger than you I had never heard of her outside of that show she was very much like a Paula Abdul to me yeah I remember being like I don't know you from anything other than this show. So clearly you did have a career, but I don't think you had the career you claim you had. 
Yes. She was Simon Callen being mean, but she was Paula Abdul and being irrelevant and plucked from irrelevancy and put back onto the map. But she was also Paula Abdul and being like sloppy and laying across the table. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. But I do remember being like, I know I would have never heard of you except for this show. So your credentials as a model, I'm I'm bringing into question. Since we're just being really mean up top, I also want to preface before we go into the book. I liked her. Oh my God, I, this was one of my favorite books. <laughs> this was one of the books where I went, this bitch deserved a memoir. Thank God she wrote it. I mean, it has everything that we want. It has honesty, like unbearable honesty. It has celebrity name drops, the ones that you want. Like we're not talking D-list bullshit. I mean, she fucked every celebrity in America. In the front row of the Oscars. I mean, she also gives you numbers, how much she weighed, how much she was making, how big everybody's dick was. Yes. <laughs> She's like very, here's the bottom line. She also is kind of funny. Yeah. She's likable. She has a lot of good callbacks. I mean, I wonder who her ghostwriter was. She claims she wrote it herself. Of course, they all say that. It was actually pretty well written. The through lines were good. It was a solid book and there was a lot of pictures. I will say before we get into the book, trigger warning. Yes. As we have learned with most women, the misogyny of America is that you see a woman acting crazy and you go, I hate that bitch because she's crazy. And then, of course, you get to know her and you go, oh, no, she's like mentally ill. She had a horribly traumatic childhood. Trigger warning if sexual assault triggers you. Yeah. I don't know that this is the episode. Or just skip ahead 10 minutes to when she's just slutting it up as a response to the sexual abuse and not. (laughs) Okay, so she was born in 1969. Which I will say, I know we just said we loved Janice for her honesty, but in some other Googling, it turns out her birth year could be one of many. 1969 (laughs) is the one that she wrote in this book, and I think she's forgotten that elsewhere. (laughs) And she's raised in Hollywood, Florida. Yes, important to denote that this is not the Hollywood as we know it. Yeah, so Hollywood, Florida, she is the middle daughter of three daughters. They're all five years apart. It goes Alexis, Janice, Debbie. She is raised by a, an alcoholic, angry father and a nurse who had a, like a back problem at one point is given pills and then quickly becomes addicted to pills. Yeah, I guess you could say just like a deeply evil father and a completely checked out mother. What came first? I don't know if like the, all the trauma happened because the mom was so medicated and checked out or if the mom had to like medicate and check out from the trauma. I'm sure it was a little bit of both. Things escalated. The father, starting at the age of five, started sexually molesting her older sister on a nightly basis until she escaped at 17 with some guy she met and married him and moved to California and left the rest of the family. When Janice was seven, her father like came home one night and tried to get her to give him a blowjob. Mm-hmm. She absolutely refused. He beat the shit out of her in response. And then from then on, absolutely hated her and constantly told her that she was like worthless. She would amount to nothing. She'd end up being a hooker, having sex for money and then also like physically abusing her yeah he would pretty regularly come home and be just like horribly violent she does also say though that even before that he had always hated her the most Mm -hmm. and she's like I remember being a few days old and remembering how much she hated me like she's like it was just always there how much she hated me and I do want to say part of why Janice thinks her story is so unique is that she was exotic looking we google some photos tell me how exotic she she was a brunette um she was a brunette with a tan and we'll get into this more later but we suspect that her dad might have been a different dad yeah because her dad is irish and scottish and she does have like an olive complexion and she does look different than her other two blonde hair blue-eyed children her mother's polish her dad is irish her other sisters it does seem like she looks very different than everybody in her family and i do think it would add up and make sense that She was not his daughter. And later in life, she also found out that she had a long lost sister that she didn't know about from the dad's side. So I don't know. It does seem like there was infidelity in that marriage, plus the abuse that we know about. It like wouldn't be wild, in my opinion, if the mom had stepped out of the relationship. But we obviously have no proof of that. It's purely speculation. The other thing, though, the third sister, Debbie, was the baby sister. And according to Janice, I don't know if this is still true, if... She just wasn't aware, but Debbie actually loved their father. And it seems like the dad never molested the sister, Debbie, and Debbie never really knew what was happening to Alexis. So when Janice was 11, she walked in on her sister and her dad and was horrified. And her sister was like, if you ever tell anybody, he'll murder all of us. And she really believed it. They all believed that he was capable of murdering them. So Janice absolutely hated her father. Alexis seemed like she hated it, but she was like resigned to it. She escaped as soon as she could. 
but she lived in fear. I mean, the dad once tells stories about him locking her in the trunk of a car until she passed out at one point. She's like beating her until she peed herself. At one point she spoke back to him and he would just wait by the door every day for her to come home. And like every other day would just knock her out just to keep her scared. Yeah. He was very careful about like not leaving marks, but of course every once in a while it would get out of hand. I think at one point he busted the mom's skull open. She worked at a hospital. She had to go get it stitched at the hospital. And then from then on, it did seem like, the mom then went up to the dad and was like, don't do this again to her. And so there was like a year where he left her alone. Yeah. And then during that year, she was able to get out of town. It seems like her mom was like high on drugs. She said she was walking a cloud. Nobody was home. But one time when her dad busted Janice's lip open, her mom, the nurse went up to fix her. And it was one of the only moments of like mother daughter closeness. It seems like they ever had. And the mother goes, you know, you're really beautiful. You could be a model. And then the next week kind of as a reward, she takes her to a, a local modeling agency that is a scam. But Janice enters this like modeling competition in New York. She wins. It doesn't mean anything, but I think that gave her the like fire in her belly. She gets through high school. She decides she's gonna move to New York. Luckily, her senior year, she met this Jewish mom and daughter duo. Yeah, this rich duo who had happened to have a condo in New York along with their house in Florida. And they were having to sell their house in Florida and move into the place in New York. So they're like, hey, we're moving to New York. And Janice starts crying. She's like, I want to go to New York. And they're like, we've got five bedrooms. Come. And she's like, okay. (laughs) So she moves to New York and she's living in a giant condo for free. Yeah. Which is a pretty sick stroke of luck. (laughs) And so Janice is like on the ground, hitting the streets every day, taking her stupid little Polaroids or portraits or whatever to every modeling agency. Well, not every modeling agency. Honestly, only the top ones. She's going from like Wilhelmina to Ford, back to Wilhelmina, back to Ford and being like, do you want me now? Do you want me now? And everybody is saying, no, we don't want you. You're too exotic looking. Yes, which is pretty interesting. She also was showing up at like photographers studios and being like, do you want to take photos of me? And they were like, that's literally not how this works. Go I mean, it wasn't just any photographer, too. She was going to like the top photographers in New York City. Showing up at their studios. And being like, can I get in there? And she was like, I can't believe they wouldn't respect me. One day it finally dawns on her to go to like a B-tiered photographer. And lo and behold, she gets right in and like basically steals photos by showing up. They think she's a model who flaked and they're like, well, you're late. And they take her photos. And by the time they realize she isn't even the girl, they're like, well, you can still have the photos. It doesn't help us to not give them to you. She's able to use those photos and get signed with Wilhelmina. Yes. So she gets in with Wilhelmina. So also during this time, when she was in Florida, she would go to a lot of concerts. She was backstage with like a friend of hers, new BB King or something. And she met his piano player In New York, she saw that they were playing again, so she went to the show, re-met this piano player, Ron Levy, Mm -hmm. and they fell madly in love or something, something close to it. I guess he was... So she had had a lot of flings Mm -hmm. um, trying to sort of reclaim her sexuality, and he was the first guy that ever made her orgasm, and so she was, like, obsessed with him. So she married him. Yes. He had a really nice family. He was from a rich, nice Jewish family. She married him. She would go on tour with him. She was the bottom rung girl at Wilhelmina. So that means like when a supermodel is doing a shoot, they like respect the supermodel's time by using a stand-in to get the lighting right. And then the supermodel comes. You don't even get paid. You're doing that for free. It's just like the hope that somebody will like you. She's married to this guy. She's going on tour with him sometimes. They're doing a ton of drugs. They're doing coke. They're drinking all the time. She's obsessed with whiskey. She's a party girl. She's 19 years old. She's married. She's living in New York City. She gets her big break when she goes for like an open casting call at Wilhelmina for two guys in Paris. It's Wilhelmina's like sister agency in Paris. They're looking for American girls to bring back to like try and get them launched in Paris. One of the guy's girlfriends sees Janice, likes her look, and is like, you're coming with. So she moves to Paris. This move to Paris happens the week that she finds her husband cheating on her. Yeah, so she's completely fucked up. She luckily gets this stroke of good luck where she's asked to move to Paris. She moves to Paris. They treat her really well. She's living in this like model house, which sounds like it sucks, but honestly, at least she has somewhere to live. They're taking her calls. They like her a lot better in Paris than they do in America. She has a guy that she's kind of dating over there. Her and Ron are still married, but they barely speak. Yeah, she, like, writes him one letter, and they talk on the phone, like, it seems like twice. Yeah, and she hears girls in the back, and she's like, okay, whatever. She takes off in Paris so fucking quickly. Yeah. Within 
four months. She got four back to back to back to back L covers. She's working with the top photographers in Paris. She becomes deeply in demand. She becomes a name over there almost immediately. She's doing commercial work. She's doing multiple Vogue. She's doing Vogue Italia. Germany. She does like multiple Paris Vogue covers. Yeah. She is crushing it. She's over there for, I think, eight months. Mm -hmm. So she like does a Milan fashion week. She's in all the runway shows and she's like, I'm ready to go back to America. But before she goes, she calls up her sister, Debbie, and is like, hey, Debbie, do you want to come live in Paris with me? I bet you could be a model, too. You're me, but blonde. And they love that. Mm -hmm. She gets Debbie over there. So she gets Debbie to come to Paris. Janice goes to Italy for a week or two to do fashion week in Milan. When she comes back, she's like, how'd it go? And Debbie's like, it honestly went pretty well. And Janice is like, what do you mean? <laughs> I wasn't even here. <laughs> it is like weird that they have this sisterly support and also deep-seated competition. Even though she made the call and was like, Debbie, come to Paris. I'll get you a contract. The fact that it was that easy for Debbie, I think Janice really resented. <laughs> well, something Janice talks about a lot in this book that gives me pause is she talks about how she broke the mold and worked so hard and paid her dues so that it could be easier for all the models after her. Yes. She literally says and quotes other people who give her credit for changing what it was to be beautiful, <laughs> that she yeah. is a new kind of beauty no one had ever seen before, that she worked so hard just pounding the pavement she was like there was no such thing as a model who wasn't blonde before me and that is not true she's like sure beverly johnson was on the cover but that was just a one-off of course they would give it to a black woman before they'd give it to a brunette <laughs> it's easier for black women in the modeling and fashion industry than it is for a girl with just brown eyes i will say it is crazy but it is like a little bit true the first time she gets shut down by eileen ford of ford models eileen does say She's too exotic looking. Her lips are gigantic. It's true, but her struggle certainly couldn't have been the worst one. <laughs> yeah, and also she really is like, nobody had ever looked exotic before me. Because of me, exotic looking girls are allowed to succeed. And I'm like... It's tough to say. It's tough to say. Hard to prove. <laughs> but she's also obsessed with like how she paid her dues. And it was so much harder for her. Later, she talks about Gia, the famous supermodel who died of AIDS, the lesbian. She... Is like, Gia didn't want it as badly as I wanted it. It didn't mean as much to her because she hadn't had to work as hard as I had. I had worked hard so that she could be where she is. And I'm like... I honestly do think that Gia had a more blasé attitude about modeling because she was super addicted to heroin. Yeah, and also <laughs> I think she was like deeply depressed lesbian. I just want to say this about Janice because Janice does like to give herself a lot of credit for all the hard hours she put in. And then she's like, I studied every magazine. I studied every photographer's name. I looked at every pose. And I'm like, okay, so you flipped through magazines. Like She read magazines. She yeah. read magazines and she went on a lot of walks. But at the end of the day, she did move to New York City, have a free place to live indefinitely until she moved in for free with her husband yeah so she went from living somewhere for free to having a husband who paid rent and within i would say 18 months she was a superstar in paris yes by 20 years old she was divorced and famous yeah. so this idea <laughs> that she had just nobody had ever paid dues the way she had paid dues nobody had ever worked harder than her i'm like uh, people have, people who go to college actually put in more gears <laughs> i mean it's literally harder to get a community college associate's degree than it is to become Janice Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. So then she gets back to New York because now she has a fucking stacked portfolio of dozens of European covers, ads. I mean, tons of work with top photographers. There was this big photographer at the time named Mike Reinhardt who everyone kept on saying, you should shoot with Mike Reinhardt. And it like became almost a bit that like everyone was like, you know who you should shoot with? And she'd be like, yeah, I fucking know Mike Reinhardt. Anyway. She hated Mike Reinhardt because before she moved to Paris when she was a nobody, he was somebody... And he treated her like shit. Yes. And by treating her like shit, he just like was busy and ignored her for 45 minutes. Yes. That to her was inexcusable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So she gets back to New York for some reason, kind of pretends that she's going to try and make it work with Ron for like a week. Yeah. I feel like they move back in together and have this weird little sad wordless goodbye where they just like spoon one last time. And he's like a full on junkie. She moves in with a friend. Combi. Yes. Of the Tricombi salon. He is like a hot, hairstylist they move in together she's dating Mike Reinhardt at this point he's furious that she would move in with a man who's not a gay man he's Jacoby is straight he actually ends up hooking up with her sister Debbie yes so Mike Reinhardt they have been dating at this point for like 
I don't know, 18 minutes. She's been divorced for 19 minutes. After a couple of months of <laughs> pretending to live with her friend Jacoby, she ends up moving in with Mike Reinhardt, which is a pattern that establishes itself early and forever. <laughs> it is weird. I will say throughout this book, I don't know if it was like a sign of the times or if it was a fact of the lifestyle they led, but the way that everyone is just like, okay, we dated for a minute. Now we're moving in together. Like Debbie does it. Debbie just like moves in with all her boyfriends. Janice moves in with so many different guys. Like everyone is just moving in with each other. Did they not have leases? in the New York City in the 70s. I, I feel like nobody not. was on a lease. It was so weird. Everyone's just hopping apartments all the time. Did they have furniture? Yeah. Who's moving these people? I don't know. Anyway, so then she's with Mike. Their relationship is deeply contentious because he's really mean. <laughs> Yeah. He's just like a mean guy. And she's also getting more and more into photography. She's really interested in studying photography from all the people she works with. And she says she was a successful model because of her personality. And I do believe that she had a really sexy, irresistible quality, especially in Paris as the American. She would walk into shoots and be like eating their food before she had even introduced herself. She like famously cursed out Helmut Newton, not knowing who he was, but he was being pervy. He came up to her at a pool and just to take off all your clothes. And she goes, fuck you, old man. And then he like storms away. Like, how dare you not strip for him? And then his wife is like, I know he can be a pain. I'll photograph you instead. And that was her first L cover. But yeah. so these kinds of stories sort of preceded her and people loved that she was sassy. She said she was game to do anything. It's weird because she says she like wasn't a diva. Like she would go to a shoot and if, if you wanted her to like get on an alligator, if you wanted her to scale a wall, she was down to do that. She was fun. She's funny in the book. I believe she was very funny in person. She would zing anybody. She had a lot of good zings. Yeah. She was very like, oh, you're interested. Get in line. Oh yeah. There was that one line where she was like sitting on ice for a shoot. As soon as they took a break shooting, she like went and sat on a radiator because her tush was freezing and then the photographer was like what are you doing and she's like warming up your dinner <laughs> yeah so I think people did like her but on the other hand she was a diva in that she expected a limo she was asking for more money than anybody had ever asked for like if you shot with her you better give her flowers at the end when she came back to the U.S. after Paris she was demanding more money than anybody had ever heard of on one hand I really respect it yeah. Oh, I really respect it. God bless. Because she did acknowledge the fact that she was bringing something to the table that other people were not bringing to the table. And she was like, yes, there's like a standard fee for models shooting editorials, but you're not just looking for a model to shoot this editorial. You want me to do it. Therefore, you had to pay out the nose for it. And I mean, more power to her, but she was a fucking diva. <laughs> yeah, no, she totally was a diva. So I don't know what she meant. Like she was easy to work with, especially down the years as she got more and more addicted to cocaine and alcohol. She talked about how it would take a couple of bumps of cocaine to get through an hour of shooting. She talks about not being able to hold her head up at a photo shoot and being like, yeah, that's because I was out all night the night before. What do you want from me? Sue me. I couldn't keep my head up because I was tired from partying. Duh. And you're like, I don't know if that's the excuse you, you think it is in your yeah. ears. So she's back in New York. She moves in with Mike Reinhardt. She's also getting really into the Studio 54 scene. At this point, she's like a pretty bona fide superstar. Like she is a name brand model I will say she is not the name brand that the other name brands are she talks yes. about working with like Christy Brinkley Iman is on the scene Christy Turlington Cheryl Teagues like all these other models that I know for being models yes. I do think that she was not at these people's level I agree but she was invited to Studio 54 yeah, she was she was but I do want to say like if it wasn't for America's Next Top Model, she would not be remembered in history, I think. I think she would be remembered in history by the people who Care study about. that yeah. version of history. She wasn't the top one of she her was days. a high-level one. Yeah. <laughs> so, Studio 54, she is out there. She's partying. She's rubbing elbows with Andy Warhol. She's good friends with the Studio 54 owners doing coke in their offices every day before they end up going to jail for tax evasion. She and Mike have a pretty hard breakup. Okay. So she talks about having the exact same revelation. She'll go to a therapist one time. She'll do like these one-offs with therapists and have a revelation that she looks for men who are mean like her father because she doesn't in her heart of well, hearts believe she deserves kindness. Well, someone will say it to her. And, and she'll say, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> and she'll leave and instead go back to drugs. I feel like for at least two or three of them, she was like, I'd never thought about it like that before. And it's like, you thought about it like that 50 pages prior to here. She'll always say, I decided I didn't want to dig deep. I'd be happier if I kept it shallow. In one of those therapy one-offs, she does get out of her relationship with Mike Reinhardt. He doesn't respect her 
passion for photography. He doesn't respect her as a model. He doesn't, he's just like very mean to her. Also, there's this like interesting power dynamic where he was a famous photographer before she was a famous model. But then when she became a famous model, she was more famous than he was as a photographer. So there's constantly this back and forth of who was using who. And he would say things like, well, everyone in this industry just uses each other. And then when you're done using each other, you'll move on. And she's like, well, do you think we're using each other? We're in love. And he's like, yes. <laughs> and she would be like wait what yeah so she ended up taking was it Chrissy Brinkley yeah so she had like this one last shoot that she was doing with him before she was gonna call it like before she was gonna end it and she was like well let's bring Christy Brinkley too I think it'll be fun if it's the three of us because I guess she just didn't want to be alone with him and they go out to Palm Springs together the three of them and they do the shoot and they come back and then she breaks up with him and a week later Christy Brinkley moves in with him that's not even what happens she brings Christy Brinkley and Christy Brinkley's date to St. Moritz. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but I don't care. They do this double date skiing thing up in the mountains for the winter. She finds a really hot ski instructor. She goes home, puts crushed up Valiums in Mike and the guy's wine, takes Christy Brinkley with her to go meet up with a ski instructor. She's like, I brought Christy so I wouldn't be too bad. All we did was make out. <laughs> and then when she goes back, Mike has woken up and he's like, what the fuck? fuck and he freaks and she's like he called me every mean name in the book and I'm like honestly you did just drug him to cheat on him <laughs> yeah anyway so then they break up and then a week later he and Christy Brinkley move in together but I will say she does love to end a relationship by cheating she loves it it's she doesn't know out. how to like confront anybody so she just cheats like in a very blatant way I do think it's pretty bad to drug so like you could just cheat without drugging somebody it's so funny it's also like she talks about it like she was just like casually doing a fuck ton of cocaine and like accidentally sometimes heroin and then she gets physically thrown into rehab more than once and it's like I do think you have a bigger problem than your leading on it is something that I've noticed in all of these books is a lot of times people will be very casually addicted and they'll be like yeah I only drank at parties but I was at parties two or three times a day <laughs> and I only did coke when work was boring or I was tired or I was at studio 54 and that happened to be most of the time and all of a sudden I was in rehab and you're like I got the one DUI and it was the one time that I was only drunk and not high while driving. <laughs> <laughs> so then she's like bopping around. She's very famous at this point. She's in LA. She's everywhere. She ends up dating like Mick Jagger for a little bit. And he convinces her that she should make music. And so th she's like recording a demo with like Keith Richards, the guy from Hall and Oates. <laughs> It might be Oats. And then like just some drummer who they like a studio drummer. It was probably yeah. Travis Barker, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> just some studio drummer that was like, I can't believe I'm here and I can't believe it's because of her. So the people at Studio 54, it's now being run by a new guy because the other people went to jail for tax evasion. They hear that Janice is doing music now and they're like, oh, you should debut your music at Studio 54. This would be a great opportunity. Let's make it like a fundraising event. It's this whole thing. The red carpet is absolutely rolled out for this occasion. She is nervous as hell because she's obviously never sung in front of people before it's just been this like weird fucking around in the studio with the most famous musicians of all time kind of event for her so she gets there she is nervous she gets on stage and looks down debbie had invited her parents so she is already flipping out she's on stage she sees her dad and she just has a meltdown mick jagger keith richardson patty iman stephanie seymour andy warhol calvin klein diana vreeland was all just down in the audience to watch Janice Dickinson <laughs> perform. I mean, she was very famous. And then her dad, who had abused her and she hadn't seen in ages. So this brings me to a really interesting point. So as far as we know, he did not abuse Debbie. Yes. For whatever reason, she was the baby. It actually reminded me a lot of the Mariah Carey situation when she talks about how, she, as the baby, she didn't get abused by their father mm -hmm. the way the two older kids did. And that it caused a lot of tension. As we say... Women want to love their dads. They'll do literally anything they can to love their dads. And so if your only gripe with your dad is that you never actually walked in on him sexually molesting your sister, you'll probably cling to that and try and love him and be like, well, he was a good dad to me. So my we also don't know if she knew about it. My question is, did Debbie truly bring the mom and the dad out of kindness? Because she was like, I thought it would be a cool surprise for you. Or did she do it to ruin her sister's life? I think she did it to ruin her sister's life. If I knew that my sister hated my parents... I will say, even if you didn't know the extent of the fracture in their relationship, you do know that they don't speak. Yeah. That she won't speak to her father on the phone. And she was like, well, dad's not doing well. I thought he'd like to see you. 
and it destroys Janice. Debbie was really like out and about. She was part of that zeitgeist too. Do you know what I mean? She wasn't like perfect. Yeah, I really do think Debbie did it to hurt Janice. I think she was jealous of her career and she kind of did it to like stab her in the back. I think so too. So Mm -hmm. in response to that, she humiliates herself in front of everybody. It's like on page six, people are calling her and telling her she did a good job. Everyone knows she didn't. Bianca Jagger, who knows that Mick fucked Janice for months, calls her and is like, you were horrible at singing. If you ever tried again, I have a gun. I think she was more mad about the horrible singing than she was about the affair. Yeah. But so everybody hates her. She like goes on an insane binge up in Westchester. She comes back to her apartment. She passes out. She wakes up and there's an intervention. Yes. They are like, you need help. You're going to die. We're worried about you. We found this place in like Minnesota. You're going to go for 28 days. Yeah. She did not want to be there. And she did not get one fucking thing out of it. I mean, she like came home and like immediately. She said Coke smelled better when she got home. And how champagne tasted. And I think it made it worse. (laughs) Yeah. If anything, she's like, how dare you say that to me? And then she kind of runs away from everything, though, because she's so humiliated about the music failure. We didn't even mention that right before the show. She like cut off all her hair and invented being androgynous. Nobody had ever had short hair before. Nobody had ever done it. Someone in Italy saw her and was like, you're a genius. I never thought about girls kind of looking boyish before. You must come to Italy and invent this new style. So she takes it and runs. She's like, I'm going to go to Italy and hide there. She like gets a lot of work in Italy. They love her in Europe. She Um, has a new rich, fast, fun Italian crew of people that she's like going to dinner parties with. She's she's not in an Armani, but they love her at Versace. And then she gets a new boyfriend who hates her as much as the rest. He's a soda magnate. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that means. Does that mean he like invented Coca-Cola or is that like... I know. What, what kind of soda do they drink in Italy? Like, what's in a, I guess he invented Pellegrino. <laughs> <laughs> so he's super rich. She's like, I'm happy again because I have a new boyfriend. She moves in immediately. They are touring everywhere in Europe. She's 35 at this point. She wants to have a baby and she gets this man does not want a bambino, as he calls it. She gets pregnant anyway. And then he makes her have her first abortion. Yeah, I will say this fucked me up a little bit. I don't like that she did it when she so blatantly didn't want to. And I don't like the reckless way in which in this book, men are just making people get abortions. (laughs) Okay. I want to, I'm extremely pro-choice. Yes. It doesn't seem like it was her choice. (laughs) Oh my God. A hundred percent was not her choice. She begged and screamed and begged to let her keep the baby. And he was like, if you don't get rid of that baby, like it's over for you. Yes. So it was a very threatening, dangerous situation. That being said, though, he was pretty strict about being like, I do not want a child. He shouldn't have been able to make her have the abortion. But I do think if you're a 34 year old woman who wants a baby, maybe don't try and stick it out with the man who's saying the one thing I will never give to you is a baby. Who was in charge of birth control? You know what I mean? Because like if she was like lying and turning her pills to sugar pills. I bet she was using the pull out method the whole time. Because right around now, AIDS is a huge problem. Totally. And she is getting calls from the US every other day hearing about more people dying and she talks about how scary it is because it's not just who you had sex with but it's who you've had sex with has had sex with and she had had sex with Warren Beatty and Mick Jagger and Jack Nicholson and so suddenly she was like fuck am I like gonna die like what is happening she had friends like Gia died she knew a lot of people who were passing away from there was a lot of gay men that were her friends it's funny because it's one of those things where the way she talks about gay guys it's not how you would write about gay men today it's not horrible but it's a She's like, you know, I related to them because we both grew up kind of hating ourselves and feeling we didn't fit in. And I don't know that you'd al- you're like allowed to be like, all gay men hate themselves. But I do think... I she mean, says a lot of things that I really don't think you can say today. No, but I do think in the 70s, if you were a gay adult man, you probably probably did not feel like you fit in growing up wherever you grew up. And you moved yeah. to New York and you found fashion and you found like your own family. And she was a woman who did not have a family. Yes. I'm going to say she found family in these people because I don't know that she's ever been close to anybody. She's like a deeply damaged person. And on, by the end of the book, I was like, who still likes you? Honestly, you two sound horrible. It's tough. <laughs> but like great to read. So she gets this abortion. She falls into like a pretty steep depression because she did not want to abort that baby. She has a lot of friends who are dying. So once again, the way she gets out of it, the only person she won't name in the whole book is this Italian director that they run in the same circles as and he's always trying to hit on her and one day at dinner she can't get her soda magnate boyfriend to pay attention to her oh yeah so this guy passes her a note with his toes and is like meet me in the bathroom and then in the bathroom he's like meet me at this unknown church tomorrow in this small town in Italy wear a nun's habit be there when the clock strikes noon which is like the least sexy time of day I'd say she Gets mad at her boyfriend at the dinner, walks out of the restaurant, steals a Ferrari, drives all the way to this small Italian town, dumps the Ferrari somewhere, goes to a hotel, wakes up the next day, goes to this 
church in a nun's outfit. A priest comes up to her and she's like, fuck, now what? The priest is the director. They have sex in the church. She's walking home, all cummed up. She sees the magnate. The Ferrari's getting towed. He's like, who did you just have sex with? And she tells him, I think, straight up. And then she's banned from Italy. She then has to leave Italy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I think she was done with Italy. I think that that was her... Sometimes she cheats on her boyfriend for a breakup. I think for this one, she cheated on him to break up with him and Italy. Yeah, she had had enough of Italy. So she once again reinvents herself in Los Angeles. Maybe Los Angeles. I will say the crazy thing about her is like she can't ever have a ba- breakup. She has to have a breakup and a move because she lives with everybody. So yeah. like once her and that guy broke up, I guess she was like, do I want to resettle in Italy? No. So she moves to Los Angeles. She moves in with a gay friend there, another hairdresser. First or second lunch down in the town. He goes, look at that guy. His name is Simon. They meet. They move in immediately. <laughs> they get married. Yeah, real quick. They have a baby. Yes, they have a baby, which she's stoked on. He wants. I guess they're like a pretty loving. I think they're pretty happy for a minute. And then um, Simon's father passes away, and I guess he takes it pretty hard. She gets pregnant again, and he does not want another baby. So he makes her abort it. She is obviously very depressed. This is horrible to her. They end up going to North Carolina to shoot Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. <laughs> a movie that he's producing. Her mom asks if she can come up and visit. And she's like, fine. She shows up. Who else is there? The father. She like snuck the father in. She's like, look, he just wants to see you. He has dementia. He's not doing well. She's covered in bruises. And she's like, sometimes he forgets who I am and hits me. But it's not his fault. It's the dementia. And Jen's <laughs> like, well, also when he remembers who you are, he hits you. Janice is so angry. The first night they get home, he like beats up the wife. He kicks the dog. Janice freaks out. He like screams at her. So she calls the police and the police are truly once again, worthless, just so useless. She's like, you need to come here. My dad is beating my mom. And they go, well, is he beating her right now? (laughs) And she's like, no, but she has bruises. And they're like, we can't come unless like a fight is mid punch. And so she throws the vase and she's like, he's dying. He has a heart attack. Come get him. So she goes to the hospital. The mom is like, look, he needs his heart medication. So she takes him to the hospital. She freaks out. She's looking at him and she's like, die, motherfucker. Like, I hate you. They end up restraining and sedating Janice. Because she's like screaming at her dad about how much she wants him dead. They're like, listen, we're going to keep him overnight to keep an eye on him. Is there anything we should know? And she's like, no, he's perfectly healthy, knowing full well that he needs heart medication. She had also thrown his heart medication out the window window. of the car. She goes home that night, goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning. He's dead. The dad. And then, of course, the sisters all fly in. They have a funeral. They cremate him. They take his ashes out on a boat. And Janice is like, are you guys really fucking going to sit here and act like he was a great guy? The sister is like, I think he's a great guy. The older sister got really into, like, every kind of self-help thing there is. Everything from meditation to acupuncture to cults to books to, like, sculpture. She's like, I've forgiven him. I've worked through it. Janice is like, how could I be the only one who's still mad at him about this? They go back to L.A. Her and Simon hate each other. Simon's like, we never have sex. We haven't had sex in six months. Janice is like, damn, that's not good. Janice tries to get sexy. He's like, well, I don't want to fuck you. So what does she do? Fuck someone else. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, you guys, for the record, has apparently a big old dong. Can I say something that I think might be like puritanical and fucked up? Mm -hmm. It really bothered me that he, okay, obviously I am pro-choice. Obviously I'm pro being a goddamn slut. Like I love it. Okay. But I think the fact that they were fucking and she got pregnant and he was like I don't want that baby and then he was like also why won't you fuck me any it is kind of fucked up that he had this wife he was like making her get abortions but then also mad that she wouldn't have more sex with him I'll stop you here and that I think when he said we haven't had sex in six months that wasn't actually him saying I want to have more sex I think it was him pointing out how broken of a couple they were because the very next day she's like oh shit let's have sex and he was like no I don't want to (laughs) true so i do think that it wasn't he wasn't like lay down and and open your legs for me i think he was like by the way we are deeply unhappy okay okay and she was like she literally was like oh my god i didn't notice because at this point she was back at therapy yes and she found some psychiatrist in la who would just give her as many volume as she wanted and she would come back and be like i still feel things you'd be like oh no we've got even better meds he was giving her lithium and like i think at one point he also was like hey you're replaying your relationship with your dad over and over and over again she once again said, I actually would rather not delve into that. I'd rather not feel anything. And he was like, perfect. <laughs> I also want to point out that Simon was not present. Though his whole issue was that his father had passed away and then her dad dies. And she, he like wouldn't even, it took ages for him, for her to get a hold of Simon when she was going to the hospital with her dad that night. 
he had his family shit that he was like, everything must stop for me. You have to get an abortion because I can't handle another baby right now because I'm so sad about my yeah. dad. And she and had I don't like, even think he went to the funeral for her father. Yeah. And she had like active family drama that he like w- did not have the time of day for. Yeah. So no, they were a bad couple. I don't like Simon. Janice was a fucked up person. If you were a man trying to engage with her, you were a fucked up man. Yeah, true. Especially if you were at all less fucked up. I mean, any relationship with her was like, there's a deep power imbalance. You're exploiting the fact that she was a drug addict and a damaged person. Totally. Totally. So she fucks Liam Neeson. That ends that relationship right quick. Yeah. (laughs) And then there is a gnarly custody battle for that baby. Um, He wants sole custody. He doesn't view her as a fit mother. And she loses her mind. I mean, her her way of being like, I am a fit mother is to just go on like absolute benders. (laughs) (laughs) Look, can I tell you what that reminds me of? What? (laughs) So, you know, I went to boarding school as longtime listeners will know. And when you're a senior, there's this thing called being a prefect. And it's like you live in the younger kids dorms and you're a role model for them. There was this absolutely batshit crazy girl that went to my high school. I'm not going to say her name because I've learned better now, but it, We'll call her H. It started with an H. (laughs) And she wanted to be a prefect. So junior year, you like you apply and they say yes or no. And she was told no because she was truly an unhinged person. And to get back at them to prove that she actually was like a caring person. She found this stray cat and kept it in her dorm room. And she was like, yeah, if I can't take care of people, how come I've had this stray cat for two weeks? And I was like... I don't know. That's a good point. You should tell them. Reapply. (laughs) Janice meets a new man, Michael Birnbaum. Michael Birnbaum lasts about a year. And his issue, I'll tell you what's wrong with Michael Birnbaum. He's nice. Yeah. And she doesn't like that one bit. She hates that he's so kind and caring and like, so she learns, well, we learn, I guess, that her thing is like when someone is too nice is that she'll just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and see where the limit is. And for Michael Birnbaum, the limit was when she left a vacation that they were on early to fuck Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) I mean, who amongst us (laughs) has not been in a mental place where we're like, I'm unlovable unless someone... Fights to stay with me after I fucked a demolition man. <laughs> Rocky. We got to back it up because that's not all she fucks that week. Yes, They've been together for a full year. Her friend is like, hey, I know an artist I could set you up on a date with. And she's like, I have been dating this man for a year and he's about to take me to Cannes Film Festival. But sure. So she meets up with this artist. They fuck. The next day she goes to con, fucks yes. Michael. The third day she leaves with Sylvester Stallone and fucks Sylvester. One month later, she is pregnant. <laughs> And it's a real mamma mia. I'll tell you, it is a literal mamma mia. But you know how women have intuition? Yes. She intuited that it was Sylvester's baby. So she's like, look, I'm not going to call my, like Michael has stopped speaking to her. She's like, I'm not going to call him back. Obviously it's not the artist. We only had sex once and everybody knows that it's impossible to get pregnant. On one sex. So she's like, Sylvester, this is your baby. He's like, how do you know? And she's like, I just, it's a, I know it's a girl and it's yours. Sylvester sticks it out with her. They start dating. They become kind of like a hot item in the press. Yes. She has this baby. Sylvester, honestly, is very kind to her. They, He falls in love with this little girl. They name her Savannah. She's so cute. Everyone's like, who does she look like more? Does she look like Sylvester? Does she look like Janice? I do want to say the second she has the baby, the first thing Sylvester says to her is, when do you think you'll be tight again? And then also like Versace is like, hey, do you think you could come walk in our fashion show. And she's like, yeah, I can get it back together in six weeks. They go to the Versace show. And okay, you know how a lot of women have good intuition? Yeah. I do think maybe 15 years of hard drugs and alcohol fucked hers up because it turns out genetically it is not Sylvester's baby. Yes. And she finds out just after this fashion show. So she comes he back and he's gone and he does like ditches her at the show. Come to the after party. She casually takes a DNA test with the abstract artist. It is not his. And it turns out, sure enough, it's the daughter of the only good man she's ever known. So she does what any woman would do. And she never tells him. (laughs) (laughs) For a long time. She really waits it out. And let me tell you, they're not living in perfect harmony. The daughter is actually every day begging to know who her father is. And Janice knows that the right thing to do would be to, like, tell Michael and to tell Savannah so instead, what she does is um, take a lot of drugs so that she doesn't feel the anxiety of this issue. And then marries another man. Yeah, She's like, let's just try it one more time. She marries some real estate guy, some super rich real estate guy. He gives her a 23 carat engagement ring. 
He was mean to her the whole fucking time. They go out to their honeymoon. They had a 2,000 person wedding. Yeah. At their honeymoon, he's like drinking booze and doing a ton of cocaine. Crashes their car. I mean, he literally drives them off a cliff. To prove that he's not too drunk to drive. (laughs) If I wasn't fit to be driving right now, how could I have found this cat? (laughs) Um, Again, a good point. She does not divorce him then and there. Instead, she tries again to stick it out. I don't remember what the breaking point is. Oh, it's when he comes home and drunkenly like throws her against the wall and makes her write, makes her write down every man she's ever had sex with. Yeah. The next day she divorces him. She lives in somebody's guest house, some rich guy's guest house. Yeah. So then it's like an attempt at sobriety. She like will get sober for three or four days and then fuck up. And then we'll get sober for like 10 more days and then fuck up. When she tells Michael finally about his daughter, she goes on like this insane bender. Yes. She's like, blacked out in a closet with cocaine and vodka while her kid's at school. Yes. She does ultimately tell Michael she does get sober. I don't think she stays sober. This book came out in 2002. Yeah. So she's definitely not sober now because I was reading on her Wikipedia. She like fell down and blamed it on champagne. She fell down pretty bad. Yikes. Oh, and then also she abused it. Like she screamed at a lot of people and she's like, sorry, I yelled at you because I fell down. And they took her to the hospital. They're like, you don't seem injured. And she's like, no. It, then why did I call everyone fat <laughs> if I didn't fall down from the champagne? <laughs> anyway, it ends with her being like, I've been working really hard. I've been trying to stay sober. It does get better. This is the poor, the point of life. It's really fucking hard. But you got to you gotta keep fighting to be, to live it. Yeah. And she is, I mean, she has a lot of regrets. She tries to be better friends with her sisters. She recognizes that she doesn't try with them. She's trying to... She also recognizes, at least in the conclusion of this book, that the most important thing that she can do is, like, try to be a good mom. And she's, like, gets along with her ex now. I don't know. She's trying. I will say... It was really nice. At the end of the book, she talks about they're at, like, a school event, and, like, both of the kids are there, and Michael Birnbaum comes to support Savannah, and Simon is there with his new wife, and they're all cordially chatting. And I think that that is lovely. Okay, so let's like real quick just go over some of our favorite parts. Some of our favorite chunks and overall lessons. I do think it's interesting the way so many people kept telling her exactly what her problem was and she wasn't able to hear it. Including Jim Belushi. Yes. She had this like wild night where she drove down to Atlantic City with Jim Belushi and he was like, tell me your whole life. And she basically did. And he goes, okay, well, here's your problem. It's very Freudian. People kept being like, you are reliving your relationship with your father in your current relationships. What you're trying to do is prove to your father that you are worth loving by pushing these men into being as angry at you as your father would get and then winning them over and then fixing it with your dad. And she's just like, I hear you, man, but I just don't really want to fix it yet. Yeah, it is wild that Jim Belushi, months out from his eventual death, had the clarity to be like, listen, Janice, this one's not that tough. But he would, he acknowledged it. He goes, look, I know intellectually what my problems are, but then like the fucked up part of me doesn't want to fix them. And that's the war. Yeah, I do think that Janice, in addition to not being able to accept love, and I don't think this is true, but like in her mind, like her truly her only value according to her brain was her looks. She had to break her perspective of herself through her father's eyes. So like she saw her as her father saw her, which was worthless. And the only point of her was sex. And so since she wouldn't have sex with him, she had no value. And I do think you saw that in the modeling. And I feel like I was thinking about it with the Demi Moore thing. I saw a lot of similarities with Demi Moore, which is why was she so obsessed with being praised for being beautiful? Yeah. And I do think it's because when you're raised and you're sexually exploited like that, she couldn't have thought of it. Like she's like, the only valuable thing is to be pretty. So I have to prove to these people that she's pretty. And she talks about that first year. She was turned down by everybody. And they were said, they would say, we don't like the way you look. And she was like, I am beautiful. I just have to show it to you. I have to prove it to you. And yes. I've always thought that was like, that's what makes me laugh about the body positivity thing. That's what makes me laugh about all of it is because it is such a funny, like shallow notion. And so the idea of like changing society so that now you are considered the beautiful thing. And then being like, that was a benefit to everybody. I'm like, Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) But she talks very honestly about how she was both the most insecure person in the world and the most like confident person in the world. Like I do think she is very accurate about being like, I would go up to these agencies and be like, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you. Nobody wants to work. Like we said, like she wouldn't go to the lower tier agencies. She was like, Wilhelmina has turned me away every single day. So I'll just keep going back because I have to be signed at Wilhelmina. And then later, I mean, the way that she like jumps agencies as soon as someone is upsetting her at all is wild. (laughs) And she doesn't just jump ship. She burns bridges. 
I mean, that Wilhelmina like was the one who really gave her that chance. But then Wilhelmina kind of like scoffs at some money stuff that she wants. And she so wanted twenty thousand dollars a day for a job that they were going to ask her five thousand dollars for. So she goes, "Fine, I'll go to." Yeah, so she just dumps Wilhelmina, the only one who ever gave her a chance, and goes to Ford. Then when she gets an opportunity at a different agency, she, like, calls up Eileen Ford herself and is like, I've always fucking hated you. I'm done. (laughs) It's just like, okay. (laughs) Okay. I mean, she literally says she invented the word supermodel, even though I just looked up the Wikipedia, and there's, like, 400 examples of people saying supermodel all the way back to the 40s. They're like... And the, Ch- the Chicago Tribune used it in 1940. And then New York Times called Twiggy a supermodel. Like, there were so many supermodels before her that were formally called supermodels. But she is obsessed with the fact that she coined that term, even though it's very obvious that she did not. Yeah. And then she, yeah, she has this, like, insane confidence and also this insane insecurity where, like, she she believes in herself. But if she is not actively being validated at every given moment, then she like feels undervalued. But she does talk about why that happens when you're a model. And it's because when your entire life is everybody around you telling you that you are the most beautiful person in the world, she's like, your job as a photographer and the assistants is to make a model feel like the center of the universe. And she talks about when she becomes a photographer, how she was able to get people to open up. And she's like, you just have to tell them that they are like the hottest thing on earth and that the world does revolve around them. And she's like, when everyone's telling you that all the time, it does go to your head. And then she talks about even how like with the drug use, they were like, listen, at the end of the day, she is a product. And if, the product takes, instead of AA batteries, a couple of bumps of cocaine, then that's what it takes to get her going. And we will go get her cocaine. She's like, they used to just bring me cocaine to set because they were like, we got to get the shot. And yeah. if, this is, like, if it's on your writer to have cocaine, we're going to get you cocaine because at the end of the day, we have money writing on this. And she ta- I think that this also bleeds over a lot into her relationship. I mean, I think part of her constant cheating was that she needed to be constantly validated. And all of these guys obviously like weren't mean to her 1000% of the time they when they first met they were all like infatuated by her but I also think a lot of them viewed her as a prize like a conquest mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like she had an emotional relationship with any of them that was two ways she was addicted to them validating her or invalidating her in some ways like some weird feedback loop and they were always like oh yeah we dated for a month who and she's like this was one of the great loves we lived well, together I think that's like the like the gender dynamic of I mean, they were never moving in with her. You know yeah. what I mean? It's in the same way that I feel like when women change their names when they get married and then the problem is now you get divorced and now it's like your identity has had two changes and the man stayed himself the whole time. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, you, if Janice Dickinson had changed her name every time she got married, she would have had like six last names and six identities. Meanwhile, all these guys got to be themselves the whole time. I do feel like, you know, she was moving to Italy following that soda magnet around his homes. With She was moving in with his family. Totally. And then she left his country. Like... She had no identity. (laughs) I know. I mean, her identity was like being a person who was looking for a relationship and a family that she just couldn't figure out because, I mean, she does learn it in a later one-off therapy. I think she has one therapist who is like, by the way, you have zero sense of self. And she was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is she just kept choosing not to look into it. And I do think she is a smart person. I think she just knew it would be too painful. And instead, she just kept medic- self-medicating and never addressing it. She, like, chose to be dumb. Yeah. And I do think it was part of, well, I'm a model. I'm stupid. I just look good. I know what my value is. I'm not going to mess with the order. And I think she, like, played into it because it was the safer route. Yeah. I mean, in her modeling career, I will say, before things went to her head, there was a real savviness to her. Like, she did have a smarts about her. We talked about this a little bit when I'd only read, like, 10 pages of the book. But I did respect the way she went about trying to land a career like I know that we said that she gets weird that she only went to the top places and was like it's this or nothing but I do think that she did do the studying like she knew the photographers she knew how to stand she understood what was needed of her as a model and I think at the very beginning before all of a sudden she was like a superstar that like felt very entitled to shit I think she was really genuinely working hard Mm. I think I think she was I guess. I just don't even think it, like, I don't think she was working any harder than, like, a cashier. I mean, I, she, like, was reading magazines, and then, like, she would walk around a lot. Here's the thing, is I don't feel like I've read a lot of that side of modeling, of, like, obsessively trying to get yourself discovered. And I don't, I'm not saying it was necessarily harder than any other life path. Like, I don't think it was harder than other jobs. I think it was harder than the story we hear from most models. I don't know. I, Cause like, I feel like when you meet a model who isn't Kendall Jenner, they're like, yeah, it sucks. It sucks for years. Yeah. It's just that so many of today's models are nepotism models. 
Yeah. Or but like I mean, the Giselle like, Bunchen who was just like in a Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. Like the models that we read books from, even like Courtney Robertson's book was, I don't know. I like entered a contest in high school and I ended up having really consistent work for the next 10 years. Yeah, that's true. Yes. When you meet a random model, like met a handful of people who are like, yeah, it's terrible. But the stuff in print that like a kid in the Midwest could be reading, I feel like it's all very much like, and I was walking through the mall and I got discovered. Yeah. And this was like the first in-text version I've read where it was like, no, I had to like physically walk the entire length of Manhattan multiple times a day trying to get my shit out there. And yes, it only took her six months to do it, but I don't <laughs> think that that is a thing I've read yeah, before. I mean, I guess she, she worked harder than her sister. Who Much just, harder like, than her sister. And then started off off the ground. Yeah. And so I don't think that she was right to be like resentful that she had worked for six long, hard months and Debbie had to work for five minutes. Like not enough. I do also think in model time, that is a lot of time just because you have such a short window to begin with. So if you had been working for like two or three years, you would have aged out of eligibility. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, she was like halfway to when she would have had to quit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, if it had taken her till she was like 24, everyone would have been like, oh my God, you're already 24. What what are you still doing here? I wonder what <laughs> Ashley Graham's timeline looks like. Because I do feel like she was hustling for a while before she yeah. took off. Yeah. Um, I guess we could like look it up. I don't care that much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or like, you know what it was? Like reading that Emily Redikowski essay. Yeah. Was, that was a lot of just like getting on a bus, showing up. Anybody who will take a photo of me, you have to go out and take a photo. And it just sucks. Yeah. Like about, I do think she, like Emily Ratajkowski sounds like she went through a lot of the drudgery bullshit. Yeah. Should we do a couple of our favorite celeb stories? Yeah. I think we should just wrap this up with some of our fave celeb name drops. I personally was a huge fan of finding out that Liam Neeson has a huge dick <laughs> and that Jack Nicholson has a adequate dick. I was usually a fan of finding out that when she had sex with Warren Beatty, she woke up in the middle of the night to find him just looking at himself in the mirror. <laughs> Oh my god! Do and you then know when she woke up in the morning, he was still looking at himself in the mirror. I think he took a nap. Yeah, but it seems like it wasn't like a one. Like it, most of his waking moments, he's just looking at himself in the mirror. I wonder how he thinks that he's. Here's the thing: in this book, Janice actually does a really good job of illustrating how difficult it is to age when your whole life is based on your looks. And I wonder if Warren Beatty had that too. Like at one point she's out on a date or something and her date sees like a young hot girl across the bar and kind of like ogles her or across the restaurant. And she has like a full on like torrential meltdown that she's not the hottest person in the room anymore. And I just found that very honest. Like, Yeah, I mean, I always say Yolanda Hadid, she went through menopause and decided that she had Lyme's disease. Like, she couldn't, yeah. like, just handle being a woman in her 50s. She was like, this is Lyme's. <laughs> I'm actually deathly ill. Just like, I don't know, Yolanda. I, I just don't understand how her whole family got Lyme's disease. None of them live on the East. Like, what did they all go to Connecticut and roll around Everyone in the grass? Everyone getting Lyme's disease at And my other thing about Lyme's disease is, like, you have to get it from a tick. I just do not understand how both Bella Hadid and Anwar Hadid, who are models and have their bodies inspected every day professionally. Nobody noticed a tick or the bullseye that you get from a tick. Like, I don't understand how all of these people are getting tick bites that nobody is noticing when they're constantly naked in front of airbrushers. (laughs) People are, like, zooming in on their bodies at the tightest possible zoom. And not one person has found a tick. Like, I just saw... I mean, do you remember when Tarek... On HGTV, a doctor wrote in. He was like, you have a weird lump on your neck and I think it's cancer. And the doctor was right. So I'm just saying that is HGTV. I don't think a tick would go unnoticed on Bella Hadid. I agree with that. And on Anwar and on On Yolanda and on Justin Bieber and on like who else had it? Did Selena have Lyme disease or that was just her kidney thing? She had a kidney thing, but they a lot of them do. Why are they all getting ticks? It's like I can't believe any of them have ever been camping. Once they're all in Mount, like they're in LA. There, there isn't Lyme disease in LA. Anyway, I mean, clearly there is. <laughs> Maybe it's airborne there. <laughs> um, you can get it from a tick or from smog. <laughs> Anywho, I liked that meltdown. Oh, here's the story that I wanted to tell that we didn't tell earlier. Another thing that Janice invented. So she was modeling with. I don't know. If she was just partying with Calvin Klein this night. She was just night. partying with Calvin Klein. She was Klein. just partying with Calvin Klein and another model. And they all went back to his apartment. And he just, like, decided to make himself more comfortable and just took his pants off. You know, I've been in that situation before. 
<laughs> with but the you, guy. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't invent one of the greatest products of all time. She anyway. looked at Calvin Klein in his Fruit of the Loom boxers and said, wow, you look great in boxers. You should just put your name on underwear and sell that. And he said, that's a great idea. I'll cut you in for 10%. And then, of course, he never did. But she invented Calvin Klein on her way. <laughs> I believe that. She invented a lot of things. She invented having brown eyes. She invented she having invented short having hair. almond-shaped eyes and exotic looks. Yes. She invented um, the androgynous look. She invented the word supermodel. She invented... This is one of my favorites. So when she dated Liam Neeson, they went out to dinner. They had sex, and then they go out to dinner. And she said the entire time he cried about Julia Roberts who had just broken his heart and how the only other woman he had ever loved at that point was Helen Mirren. <laughs> Which is just a funny person to imagine Liam Neeson crying over it. And then when they went home, like, he started crying into a hand towel with J.R. on it, which are, like, Julia Roberts' initials. <laughs> he, like, stole a hand towel from her house. I love... I hope Liam Neeson writes a book someday. I know he never will. Cause you guys, we are going to do all of the other fun celeb name drops. We like left, honestly, a ton out. We, did, we didn't mention the Versace's. We didn't mention all the Andy Warhol's. Oh, my God. I mean, Iman. There, we, had a mil- there's a, we are going to comb through the book, find every celebrity name drop. We're going to do a compilation of them on our Patreon. If you want to hear everything she has to say about Iman, about Andy Warhol, about everybody who's at Studio 54, Liza Minnelli, The Works... Subscribe to the Patreon. There's a new episode every Thursday. We're so excited. Next week, we're doing Gabrielle Union. We cannot wait. And, okay, you guys, stay tuned because I can, with 90% certainty, say our merch is going to drop on May 14th. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you guys next week. As always, we love you. Yeah, we do love you. Bye. Bye.